Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are going to study Revelation. I hope you have your Bible out. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. That's where we are tonight as we move through this book. We are clipping right along now, and we are past the halfway point. We are going to study Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18 tonight, studying chapter by chapter through this awesome book. And, of course, this is written by the Apostle John. and He was lifted from the prison island of Patmos to the throne room of God. And he was given the assignment to write the events of prophecy as they were revealed to him by God Almighty. And we see that beginning in chapter 4, moving forward. Chapter 1, we see the picture of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Chapters 2 and 3, we see the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And with chapter 4, we see the prophecy uh, that carries through the end of this earthly world. Now, I believe that many of the things that John wrote in this prophecy of Revelation He did not understand. He wrote down things that he could not comprehend exactly what they meant. But this is an inspired writing of the events that God had revealed to him. And whether he completely understood them or not is really beside the point. He just needed to be faithful to write down that which God revealed to him. And he did. Now, I cannot honestly tell you tonight that I understand everything in the book of the Revelation. I don't understand everything in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. However, we are to study God's word knowing that we will be blessed as we open it and as we ask the Holy Spirit to pull up beside us as our teacher and to instruct us in the truths of his word. So tonight, we're asking the Lord God through his spirit to be our teacher uh, in this place. This much is crystal clear. This book is called Revelation. It is not in the plural because it is the revealing of one central character, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We see him as Lord. We see him as Savior. We see him as judge. You know, as you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the suffering servant. You see the one who was dressed in pauper's clothing. You see the one who went to the cross, who was literally killed to take our sin upon himself that we might be forgiven. However, when we open the book of the Revelation, we see him as Lord and God and judge. His hand of creation began human history. And of course, his earthly birth split human history into before Christ and then A.D., Uh, His power is going to close human history once and for all. Jesus is revealed as the mighty God who has authority over all. That is authority over heaven, authority over earth, and authority over hell itself and Satan himself. We see that as the book of the Revelation uh, goes through. Now, as we read chapter 5 and carried that forward, when Jesus begins breaking the seven seals of the great scroll of God, with every broken seal, there is one great tribulation of God's judgment poured out with the breaking of each seal. His tribulation, his judgment, his wrath, 
is released upon the sin and the wickedness and the unrighteousness of the earth. Now, when Jesus breaks seal number one, and that is in chapter six, verse one, God allows the antichrist to ride forward. Now, in the last sermon, uh, as we've been studying Revelation together, we studied the Antichrist as he is described in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. Here are some of the facts about this most satanic, most powerful, lost man of all of human history. His actions make Adolf Hitler's regime look like child's play. And, of course, his actions as the Antichrist are yet to come uh, on this earth's surface, on the history that is to come. Satan himself, whom Jesus describes as the prince of this world, will crown the Antichrist, the human king of this earth. He directly empowers him. The human Antichrist is directly kin to his father, Satan. And Satan directly empowers him. Now, one of the things that I remind you, there is no description about Satan in the Bible that shows him with a forked tongue or a a red suit or a long tail or a pitchfork. But rather, the Bible describes him as very comely, as very attractive, as the one who wants to draw the sheep in by being attractive. And we see that The Antichrist is described in much the same way. He is charismatic, he is influential, he is witty, he is charming, he is a wordsmith, he is a master of human language. Uh, He is handsome, Uh, he is very much attractive as a leader of human beings. People are brought to him because he's very attractive. He will imitate the miraculous as he recovers from a very mortal wound. And multitudes are going to be so enamored with him and by him that they will not only follow him, but they will also worship him. He becomes a figure of God as he walks the soil of this earth. He will blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ that's on your sheet. He will blaspheme Jesus And he will sway people away from the living God that they are to follow him and not the Lord Jesus Christ. They are to follow him and and of course in following him they will then be hell bound. Now as we open the Bible tonight to the end of chapter 13 we see another individual appear who is alongside the Antichrist. The Bible calls this person another beast from the earth. He actually becomes the Antichrist public relations director. This next individual is the press secretary for the Antichrist as he rules and reigns on the earth. This person, this press secretary, speaks for, represents the Antichrist before the people of the world. Now, of course, you know that sometimes when you're watching a TV program, a special report interrupts things and the regular program goes off and a newscast will interrupt and come on. Rather sometimes than seeing the president actually making a speech to the nation, what you will see is his press secretary. When that representative of the president looks into the camera, addresses the public and says, this is what the president says in this matter. I am telling you the president's words. He's not here personally to tell you, but I am his press secretary and my words are his words. 
So the press secretary represents the president or that person of great importance. Now for the beast of the earth that we read about in chapter 13, he is fulfilling that role for the antichrist. When the press secretary speaks, it is representative of the words of the antichrist to the public of the world. So let's read about this second person standing by the antichrist. Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. So that takes us uh, to the end of the chapter. Hear these words then from Revelation chapter 13, starting with verse 11. John writes, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. May God add his blessing to these ending verses of chapter 13 of the great book of Revelation. Of course, the first beast that's referred to here several times is indeed the Antichrist, the satanic-filled leader of the world. The second beast that we read about tonight is the false prophet. Adrian Rogers, in his sermon series, called this uh, uh, the Antichrist's sinister minister. He's the Antichrist's sinister minister. Well, what we see forming in Revelation chapter 13 is a trinity of leaders. You will notice that Satan always imitates God. You'll see a trinity of leaders here as we read Revelation. We see Satan as the father, the Antichrist as the son, and the false prophet is the spirit which calls attention to the Antichrist. So we have a false trinity here in this satanic leadership. We know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is the holy trinity. Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet are the unholy trinity. Satan always tries to imitate God. God is truth. Satan's imitation is deception. God is holy. Satan's imitation is profane. God is love. 
In Satan, it is hate. Revelation 13, 11, Scripture says that this false prophet who is calling attention to the Antichrist all the time, the false, false prophet has horns like a lamb. Well, I've never seen a baby lamb with horns. So there's a word picture here. He appears harmless, just as a baby lamb is harmless. However, this lamb has horns on it. This lamb is dangerous. This lamb wants to appear harmless, but is filled with hatred and filled with murder. Says his speech is like a dragon. Of course, you know, Satan himself is described as the dragon in Revelation. And so his speech is very satanic and destructive. He is Satan's mouthpiece. That's the word you're looking for on that sheet. He is Satan's mouthpiece. Now, I want you to notice this interesting point. This false prophet, this sinister minister of the Antichrist, initiates and spurs the world to worship the Antichrist. You know, the Holy Spirit fills our hearts, directing us always to worship Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. However, the false prophet is serving in that satanic role in calling people to worship the Antichrist. This is Satan's greatest desire. It has been throughout all time that Satan is the one who desires to be worshipped over and above our God. He wants that leadership. Remember the third temptation of Jesus in the wilderness was Satan tempting him to fall down and worship him. And if he would, he would give him all the kingdoms of the world. So this false prophet directs the world to worship the Antichrist, Satan's son. Now this false prophet, you notice, as we read through these verses of Scripture, is also a master of fake miracles. He is a master of fake miracles. He can make fire come down from heaven. He encourages and leads people to make an image or an idol that appears to look like the Antichrist himself. And you will notice that when this idol is created and According to the word of revelation, this idol does indeed come to be. Humankind does produce this idol that appears to be like the Antichrist. But it says that the false prophet can uh, use Satan's power to animate this idol so that it speaks. So you have some kind of animatronic thing going on here that, you know, I'm sure you see some semblance of that uh, in, a, in a Disney World thing. This is much more serious than Disney World. But somehow the false prophet can animate this idol that appears to look like the Antichrist to speak. So he has some type of satanic power about that. You will also notice, and this is so interesting as it ties in with Daniel. If anyone will not fall in worship before this idol of the Antichrist, the false prophet has the power to call for that person's death. You see that in verse 15. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 3, what happened to those who would not fall down to worship the idol that looked like the image of Nebuchadnezzar? They were to die. That's what sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the fiery furnace. They would not bow down to worship that idol that looked like Nebuchadnezzar. We have a repetition. You see, Satan repeats the same tricks. And that's exactly what we see from Daniel chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 13, Old Testament to New Testament. Satan is still playing the same game. 
People were to die if they wouldn't worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. People are going to die if they not, will not worship the image of the Antichrist. Well, how can a false prophet filled with Satan do miracles? It's our impression, it's my impression, that only God Almighty truly can perform a miracle. Well, I want you to think back to the book of Exodus. This is on your sheet. Think back to the book of Exodus. When Moses spoke to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 7, Moses threw down his rod, and by God's power, that rod became a serpent. And so Pharaoh called in his magicians, his men who were following a satanic magic rather than God, and they performed that same miracle. But there was something very different about it in that Moses' rod truly did become a serpent. There was something magic, sleight of hand about what Pharaoh's magicians did. Their miracle came through Satan's power and trickery, but not by God's grace and God's love and God's power. The same is true as Moses called for God to turn the Nile River to blood. That indeed did happen. But the magicians of, of Satan in that day, employed by Pharaoh, implored Satan to create that same deed. Even Jesus warned that Satan could mislead people through miraculous events. If you'd like to keep your thumb in Revelation, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 through 25. Hear what Jesus said about what we're talking about here in Revelation. Matthew 24, verses 23 through 25. Write down that reference. Jesus says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. In other words, Jesus says, I'm warning you, this is going to happen. I'm telling you, before it happens, false Christs will come in my name, and they will produce miraculous events. Jesus said that. We see it happening here in Revelation 13. Somehow, by Satan's power and trickery and sleight of hand, the world is deceived into believing that the Antichrist is miraculous, and he is absolutely not. So the false prophet, this press secretary, will mislead millions to worship the Antichrist. He is the minister of lies and deception. Now, verses 16 through 18 of Revelation 13 Describe a picture that I can see coming very soon. The false prophet is going to introduce a program for all people. You'll notice that it's rich and poor, bond and free, brain surgeons, garbage collectors, all people of all stations of life. The false prophet is going to bring a program that each person will be branded with some permanent mark on their right hand or on their forehead. It will be something kin to perhaps a tattoo, something that once you get it, you will never be able to rid your skin of it. It will be unremovable. Now, most likely, 
this mark is a, a number or a barcode uh, or, or some, some mark of that nature by which it's individual. Everyone's going to have an individual mark. And perhaps as that mark is scanned, uh, it's going to reveal everything about that person's financial history, uh, political activity, your location all the time, uh, your health, whatever it may be. Everything will be uh, recorded about that individual that bears that mark of the Antichrist. Uh, But if you do not have that mark, if you do not allow that mark to be put on your body, you will not be able to buy groceries, you will not be able to buy gasoline or clothing or real estate, you will not be able to sell, you will not be able to keep a job, you will not be able to maintain a living unless the name or the number of the Antichrist is literally permanently imprinted on your body. That's what Scripture says. So unless you say, I worship the Antichrist, I serve the Antichrist, I follow the Antichrist, then you're going to suffer persecution and starvation for the rest of your earthly days. As long as you reject the mark, you will be under punishment and deprivation. Again, this passage calls to my mind Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not worship the golden idol. They were thrown into the fiery furnace as punishment. In future days, if people will not worship Satan and the Antichrist, they will be starved, they will be homeless, naked, scorned, laughed at, imprisoned under Satan's thumb. Now look at the last verse, verse 18. It says that the number of Satan's beast is 666. Scripture bears out that God's perfect number is the number what? Seven. The perfect number of God is seven. In Genesis, he created a week to be seven days. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, I will praise you seven times a day. Matthew 18, Jesus tells Peter to forgive 70 times seven. That's not a a number. That's the perfect way of forgiveness. In Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches. Revelation 1-4, God says his number of perfection is seven. It is the number of completeness. It is the number of fullness. It is the number of God. Now, with that in mind, what would the number six imply? That it is an incomplete number. Uh, it It is not fully to the stature of God. It is an incomplete number. It's the Bible's number for human beings. The number six indicates incompleteness in wisdom. It indicates incompleteness in strength, incompleteness in being perfect, incompleteness in every way. We are not like God. God is perfect. God is holy. God God is all wise. God is all knowing. The Bible says that the Antichrist number will be emblazoned on hands and foreheads, and that number is 666. The perfection of God is expressed in the Trinity. So if you really want the expressive number of God, it's 777. But here we have a trinity of incompleteness. 666 
means imperfect man trying to be the perfect God. And it will never succeed. It may fool people, but it will never succeed. So what we see here is Revelation over and over telling us that sad, scary days are coming. Days of deception. Days when people will follow Satan instead of coming to a Savior. Now, do remember that in this time period of the Great Tribulation that we're studying right now, there will be witnesses 144,000 witnesses spread around the world calling the world to Jesus Christ. The church will be gone. The church has been raptured out. So it's not the church age, but that doesn't mean that it is not the age of the gospel. There will be witnesses in the world, saved Jews. And we will be studying that, by the way, in the book of Daniel when we look at the 70-week period. And that's coming up very soon. But the world is going to be covered with saved people who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be many, many saved. In fact, Revelation attests to it that the numbers will not be able to be counted if so many will come to Christ. But these are still days of deception for the world and days when others will be misled. And, you know, I guess the question that burdens me is this. As a pastor and people, as we think about the gospel, how would we react Tonight, if our government required that we have a mark of identification placed on us, I believe that day could come before the Great Tribulation. You know, right now, in these days, you and I are on the grid. You know that. You know, Gwen and I uh, refinanced our home several years ago. And, of course, you have to have all those credit reports and all that stuff. I was amazed at the information that came on sheets before me of where my money was and, and the bills I had and what had gone. It was amazing what was known about my financial status. Everything was known about it. Embarrassingly so in, in you know, credit card stuff and all that. But we're on the grid. Don't be fooled that your life is not accounted for in a computer somewhere because you and I are definitely on that grid. But Satan doesn't care to see us as individuals. He wants us reduced to faceless numbers. Now, you know, I'm not, I'm not this fanatic tonight that's telling you that your social security number is satanic. Don't, don't take it that way. But we do need to be careful about what we accept in these days. Do you agree with me? We need to be careful about decisions that are being made in these days. And we need to exercise godly wisdom about what we accept and what we reject uh, as it comes down the pike. When old John wrote this and saw these things, he had no idea about barcodes and scanners and social security numbers and being on the grid of computers. He had no idea about that. But tonight... You and I know that the technology exists in this world, this moment, that can track your every move. It is reality tonight. John didn't understand that when he wrote these words because there was barely no technology in that day. But here we are 2,000 years later and we see a whole different world and we understand these words with a different mind because here we are. We live in that world. We are on that grid. So the stage is set for the branding process of the Antichrist. 
What I'm saying is every decision that you and I make, financial, physical, uh, and spiritual, needs to fall under submission to our holy God. Every decision should fall under his word. Test everything by the Bible and test everything by the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. Tonight, as a church, we simply need to ask the Lord to bless us to continue to walk in the paths of righteousness. Because as we see revelation unfolding here, we realize that we are living closer and closer to the days that are described right here in God's word. I believe that these days are close, literally close. I don't know how close, but I believe they're close. So tonight, we need to ask the Lord our God for the wisdom to reject the temptations of Satan. We don't want to be deceived by satanic things. We want to remain faithful as godly people and as a godly church. And I I pray that we will ask the Lord tonight to surround our lives and our homes and our church with his wisdom. Ask him to help us cling to him and never to be misled by things of the world. We need that commitment. You know, I believe that right now we, the people of God are in a very vulnerable place in this world. And we need to pray for God's protection over every threshold of this place and of your homes and of our lives. Tonight, if you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and there may be one in this sanctuary or one who will hear this sermon in recorded form sometime down the road. But if you've never come to Jesus Christ, he is the only one who died on a cross for you. The greatest victory that we have over Satan and his deceptions are by clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the one who loves us and the one who gave his life for us. Why are we not to take the mark of the beast on our body? Because in Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 and 4, it says that the Lord wants to put his mark on us. And his mark cannot reside with Satan's mark. He has a mark that he wants to place on us. And so we reject anything of Satan to keep our body clean that the Lord's mark will be placed on us. Tonight, if you need him as your Savior, if you will come to him and simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe that I need you as my savior. I am a sinner. I need to be sorry. I need to repent. I need to turn toward you because I believe that indeed you, the only one, you're the way and the truth and the life. You died on the cross for me to take my sin away. I believe that and I want to give you my heart and my life tonight. If you need him, you can come to him this moment.